Good evening, everybody. How we doing? All right. I see we got somebody in the upper deck tonight. Good to see you guys up there. Hello. Um, man, I'm excited about this new series. Uh, I, I got to be honest. I think the Take Heart series was one of my favorite that we've ever done. Uh, it was just really fun to dig into uh, just God's word in terms of this idea of like, let's, let's take some courage in our faith instead of being uh, hesitant or scared or nervous. And so we thought, you know what? We, we need to balance this out with like, so what do we do? And there's this word that happens over 230 times in the New Testament, and it's this word, therefore. And if you know how to study the Bible or anyone's ever taught you to study the Bible, we talk about this all the time in our Sunday school class, is when you see the, the, the word, therefore, you have to stop and ask yourself, what is it therefore? Why is the therefore there? And it, here's what it does. That word bridges the theological knowledge that we may have just read with the application of the knowledge. It's the bridge between the theoretical and the actual. Like, what do we actually do with this? So let me give you an example of some, like, real therefores that, that, that we live in, out in our life. So if, the, if you're applying for a job and you get that job, therefore, you go buy new clothes and you show up at this building at a certain time, right? You learn something, you got the job. Therefore, you show up on time with some new clothes. Hopefully on time, right? Or you go to a wedding of a friend or a family member. They say their vows, they say till death do us part. They're married, they smooch, they walk out. Therefore, they go on a honeymoon to celebrate this new life together. And so we do this all the time. But when we come to God's word, if you're anything like me, a lot of times, also like Jeremiah said, like, hey, that was a good word. But I, but I never think about, all right, what does this actually mean played out in my life? And so I wanna be careful tonight that we're not, and, and really in this whole series, that this doesn't become just this to-do list. All right, because that's, that's my background. Like, you give me some Christian stuff to do, I will do it because then God will be happy with me and I'll be a good Christian, right? Okay, there is some truth to that. Like, yes, we, we do have a way of living as Christians, but God's love and care for you is not attached to your to-do list, right? As my wife loves to say in our Sunday school class, it's a to-done list. Christ has finished it. There is no more deserving or earning so there is no to-do list in Christianity. There's just a to-done list, but we have a response is what we have. And so this idea of therefore is like that what now kind of mentality. Like, okay, great. Well, what now? What next? That's what we do is so what every week, except this week. We'll get there. I love Paul's words in Ephesians 5 that if you remember several weeks ago, we talked about getting really curious about God this year. And this message, therefore, I think is gonna help us continue to be curious. In Ephesians 5, you know what Paul tells the church in Ephesus? Now, you gotta think about this church in Ephesus. They don't have the Bible. Like, all we know is they have one letter from Paul. That's it. So towards the end of Ephesians, this is what he says. Find out what pleases the Lord. Find out. Get curious. What actually pleases God? Now, we have the benefit of having a library of books called the Bible that helps us find out exactly what pleases the Lord. And so when we talk about this idea of therefore, 
we're gonna find out what is it that we are called to do, what, who we are called to be, not just theoretically, but actually. So let me pray as we get into this. Lord, I just wanna thank you for just bringing us here. Thanks for waking us up today, keeping us alive to this point. Uh, and Lord, we just ask that tonight as we get into your word, as we open the book of Romans, God, would you do a work in us? Holy Spirit, would you start from, from the, the, the first word we read? Would you start to revive our soul? That we would just not read a word on a page, but we would read the breath of God. That you are speaking to us and that we would be expectant to hear from you tonight. And we pray these things in your name, amen. All right, so as we get into this, can we just do a quick poll? How many in here, you would self-identify as a picky eater? Anybody, anyone? Come on, are you serious? There's five of you? I got five in my own home. Like, I know the ratio, like, let's be proud. Are you picky? Like, you do not like to go, you, go to this, you get the same food at the same restaurant every single time. That is me, 1,000%. Like, just, just to let you know, when I got married and we started having children, we had to realize our kids got to eat healthy. My wife would puree healthy food and sneak it into other food so that I wouldn't see it. That's how picky I am. But here's the deal. I was like this from a little kid. My mother, oh my, I just, I wish I could apologize. Uh, she's no longer with us, but man, she worked so hard to get me to eat good stuff. And I would complain, and I would dry heave at the table, like, for real. I would take food, throw it under the cabinet next to the table, and we'd find it years later covered in mold. Like, I was that kid. And she would always have this line. She would say, you know, Andy, there are starving children all over the world that would love that food. I'm like, great, send it to them. I will gladly donate, right? But it was like that, that, that what, was, what was she trying to do? She was trying to switch my perspective of the food on my plate. To be maybe a little bit more serious, there's, I, I think on, I've been in, six times in my life, I've been on a discipleship trip. Some of you would call it a mission trip. I call it a discipleship trip because it's part of who we are as Christians. This is what we do. We are learners and students of Christ, and he went to serve. So we, we are, it's a disciple trip. And every single time I would go on one of these trips, I would go in with a very, very entitled mentality. Like, I am here to help these people. Like, I, you know, my whole, my life, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a big grumbler and complainer. And then I would go on a discipleship trip and I would come back with a whole new perspective. The one that probably rocked my world the most was when I went to uh, Costa Rica in college and we went to this family's home and they, we would stay with them and, and there was five of them in a two-bedroom um, or no, a two-room, excuse me, two-room house. There was a bedroom and then a room, five of them, and they gave up their bed for us. Dirt floor, and I, I always came back from those trips with a different perspective. I saw life through a different lens, and man, is it healthy. Going to a funeral does the same thing. Don't ever shy away from going to a funeral because it is a healthy and good lens to see this is what life is. Someday someone will be speaking about me. And for some reason, it takes all that anxiety of life and it narrows it down to a healthy and productive perspective. Because perspective is important. It changes everything that we do. How we view things. 
on those mission trips, those discipleship trips, I would view it as like, man, these poor people, they need our help. And I would leave saying, man, this poor soul needs perspective. <laughs> because it changes our attitudes, it changes our actions, it changes everything about us. And so tonight, if you're a note taker, what we're gonna talk about is a new lens on life. A new lens on life. Because whether you know it or not, you have a lens that you view the world through. It could be a lens of deficit or abundance. It could be a deficit. You could be like the, the, the Eeyore or the Tigger. Everything's exciting. Everything's great. Or everything's terrible. And it's only gonna get worse. If it's good for a moment, just wait. It'll get worse, right? I mean, we, you, you could have that, 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 like an individualistic, like everything's about me. Or it could be like, hey, everything's about us. Like your perspective and the lens that we have in life impacts everything. It impacts your giving. It probably impacts the job you take or the job you quit. It probably impacts who you date or who you want to marry. It probably impacts your friendships on a daily basis. The lens with which you view the world. It impacts everything. Matthew 16, Jesus actually rebuked Peter for his perspective. In Matthew 16, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm, I'm about to go to Jerusalem, be beaten, crucified, killed, and raised on the third day. And you know what Peter says? He's like, no, you're not. That's crazy talk. And this is what he says in Matthew 16. He says, Jesus turned to, and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns, perspective. Your perspective changes everything. And so we're gonna be in Romans chapter 12 tonight, verses one and two. And I'm gonna read, we're gonna read this passage like four times all the way through tonight. And I want you to soak in these words. Be a sponge, okay? This is what Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, if you're not familiar with the book or letter to Rome called Romans, it is probably the the, the the densest theological letter that we have. It is a unbelievable read. But I wanna give you a very quick summary of, of Romans, very quick. Because we have to know what the therefore is therefore. Do I need to switch mics? This one over here? This one down here? All right, there we go, here we go. All right. So really quick, this is gonna be on the screens. In chapters one through four, what we see in Romans is that uh, God reveals humanity's fallenness and God's righteousness. That's what we see in chapters one through four. It is a rough read. It is rough. God is very honest with who we are as humans. And then in chapters four through eight, or sorry, five through eight, we, we see that God creates an, an entire new humanity, that Adam came first, and from Adam came selfishness, and we were trapped in sin, but then a new Adam has come, and his name is Jesus. 
And he is, and just like all had fallen through Adam, all are saved through Jesus. And we have this new faith family. And then verses chapters nine through 11, we see uh, Paul writing to the Israelites about their past, their present, and their future hope. And then we come to Romans 12 through 16. We see Paul writing about the unification of the church. We see the application. So Romans 12 is the turning point of the entire book of Romans. Like the, all the theology, all the doctrine is one through 11. And then at 12, Paul takes an application turn. That's why he says, therefore. All right? And so we are starting at the turning point. Let's read this once again. I'm gonna show you three things that we see that he is urging us to do in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. He says, therefore, because of all these things, because of our fallen nature, because of God's grace and mercy upon us, because you have a new faith family, because of all these things, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the first thing we see Paul urge us to do is to see life through the lens of God's mercy. He's saying, here's a new pair of glasses that you need to put on. You are in a new family. Here are the family glasses. Because perspective matters. The way that we see our faith, the way that we see God, the way that we see ourselves will absolutely impact how we live out our faith and how we live out our life. Like my default mode growing up, my, the glasses that I lived with was God is disappointed in me and looking to catch me. And so what did that mean? It meant that, that I lived my life scared to death to live my life. I was scared to screw up. I believed God was throwing like these traps out to, to catch me in sin. And so it was not a joyful faith. It was a terrified faith. There was no relationship because I didn't want to have a relationship with someone who was just trying to catch me. Someone was disappointed in me. That was the perspective and the lens with which I viewed the world. What Paul is saying, no, no, no. Therefore, because of all these things, in view of God's mercy, those are the glasses we wear. We keep our vision and our eyes and our view on the mercy of God, therefore. This is the motivation of obedience. This is the motivation of a life surrendered to Jesus, is the mercy of God. Not the disappointed God, not the angry God, not the I'm gonna catch you God that we tend to start to believe as, as kids. You know why I, 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 this is, I was thinking about this today. I was like, why did I think God was always trying to catch me? You know why? Because my youth pastor was always trying to catch me. <laughs> I, was, I, was a, I was a wreck in middle school. <laughs> I got in trouble all the time. And so what did I do? I took that projection and put it onto God. When I'm at church, my youth pastor, always, I was always getting in trouble. And so I took that, I was like, that must be how God sees me. Was that his intent? Absolutely not. I was disruptive to the nth degree. 
And I've reached out to him via Facebook over the years and apologized. Literally, I have done that because I was a youth pastor at one point. But our perspective matters. And my default, almost on a daily basis that I have to reset, is that God is disappointed with me. And I gotta earn his favor. That is, that is deep in me. But we all have a lens that we wake up every morning. You have a lens. You have a view of God that affects how you live or don't live out your faith. And so, if you're anything like me, when I read this passage, therefore, in view of God's mercy, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, what's God's mercy? Well, let's look at Romans. Again, chapter one through four, we see all people deserve God's judgment, but are justified by grace in Jesus. We see this in Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Mercy. Our mercy is that we deserve judgment, but in his grace, he has given us forgiveness. That's the mercy of God. In chapter five, we see that we have peace with God through Jesus. That once we were at odds, we were rebellious and we were at war with him. There was no peace. Romans 5, one says, oh, there's it, therefore. Since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So the mercy of God is that we are forgiven, we are justified, we are at peace through God. And then in chapter six, we have new life, new identity, and new purpose in Christ. In Romans 6, 13 and 14, he says, do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you, are no, long, you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under freedom of God's grace. God's mercy is freedom. God's mercy is new life. God's mercy is a new identity and a new purpose. And then chapter eight, we see that we have security and acceptance from God. And right off the, right off the bat, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is God's mercy, no condemnation. The woman caught in adultery, thrown in front of Jesus, he said, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't know, they left. And he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. There is no condemnation in Jesus, that's a mercy of God. And then in chapter 10, we see God's great plan for, for salvation to save you. In 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'll keep going. We have a new status, we are right with God and we are forgiven. We have a new family, we're included in God's people. We have a new future and it is a transformed life. These are the mercies of God. When we think about why would I live for Jesus, it is because of his mercies for you and towards you. Not because he's looking to catch you, not because he's looking to micromanage you, it's because he has shown you incredible mercy and grace 
over and over and over and over again. Therefore, what do we do with that? We live in light of the mercy of God. That's the backdrop of the next two verses. So let's read. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, what to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So my second point tonight is that we are urged to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. You see, how you view your life changes everything. Paul's urging to the believers in Rome was to sacrifice themselves to God. Not as a sacrifice on the altar that would lead to our death, but as a living sacrifice. Like this language would not have been weird to the original hearers. We, we think it's a little bit weird. We don't do sacrifices like they did in the Mosaic law time. But that word offer simply means to willingly and on purpose. So we are, he, he says, hey, offer your bodies willingly. Do it on purpose. Give yourself consecrated to the Lord. Means set aside for divine purposes yourself. And this is your proper act of worship. We see this, Paul actually talks about this in his own life in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me because he had mercy on me, right? Paul's living in view of God's mercy. That's why he can say, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives in me. And what kind of sacrifice is this? One that is holy and pleasing to God. So I go back to Ephesians 5. Find out what pleases the Lord, Paul says. When was the last time that's how you lived out your faith? I'm just gonna have an experiment and find out what pleases the Lord. What if we were like the church in Ephesus? And we said, instead of assuming what pleases the Lord, we actually put our minds to finding out what puts a smile on God's face. I think sometimes having the Bible actually hinders our curiosity. The Ephesians had no choice but to just trial and error this thing out. They had to live in a way that was holy and pleasing and figure out, was that pleasing to the Lord? We have the benefit of scripture. But you know what, this, this idea of living a living sacrifice, like we do this all the time. We just don't like the idea of doing it for the Lord. We will do it for a relationship, no questions asked. We will give up our own preferences, our own desires. We'll give up ourselves to please someone else. We'll do it for our employers, we'll do it for our parents, we'll do it for our friends. We'll do it for people we don't even like. We will wear certain things that we don't really like because we want to impress and please other people. Isn't that weird? That the God of all mercy and grace says now, follow me as a living sacrifice. Like, whoa, 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 that's a big ask. That's, that's, that, that may be just too much. But if there's someone that's cool, there's someone that's good looking, 
There's money involved. We will give up anything to get that, to please them so they will think well of us. Oh, how Satan has turned the tables. So let's get curious and, and let's add to that adventurous and find out what is holy and pleasing to the Lord and let that be our spiritual act of worship. Here, here's a thought that I've, that I, that's been just like a pin in my brain is the word worship. And I think what we've, we've inadvertently done is we've assigned worship to only singing. Paul mentions nothing about singing here. He says your life is worship. The way you live it out, the words that come out of your mouth, the where your hands go and where your eyes go and where your mind goes and where your feet take you, those are all acts of worship. It's not just singing. Man, I, don't, don't get me wrong, I love worshiping through song. I love it. But it is so much more than that. Let's continue. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. So my last point tonight is that we are urged to be transformed, not conformed. Paul is saying, be transformed. Leave that old life. You are part of a new spiritual family. Leave that stuff behind. Because the truth is, we are all becoming something. And we are all becoming someone. Every single one of us, you will not be who you are today in five years. You won't. But you are being shaped and molded, whether you want to believe it or not. I saw this meme the other day. It was really funny. It was like somebody, there was somebody at a podium asking, how many of you think the news media is influencing people? And every hand's up. And then on the bottom side is like, how many of you are being influenced? No one's hands up. We believe it, just, but not me. I'm, I'm too strong for that. No, no, we, we are being shaped all the time by podcasts and music and media and friendships and relationships. Like we are being impacted and shaped and conformed all the time. Here's the cool thing. You as a believer have another option, a better option. Those who are not in Christ have no option other than to be conformed to this world. But as Christians, you can on purpose and willfully say, I am going to be conformed to the image of Christ. I am going to be transformed from my old self to my new life in Christ. And all it requires of you is to change some things that you ingest, things that you watch and you listen to and that you celebrate and you seek out. And you start saying, God, what is holy and pleasing to you? Let that be a filter we add to our life as Christians. He says, by the renewing of your mind. I don't know how brain cells worked, but we use this with my kids all the time. Every like 30 days, your taste buds change. Did you know that? It's how we get our kids to eat vegetables. Try it again. Maybe it'll taste good this time, right? But your mind can be renewed is what Paul's saying. 
It can be regenerated. We may have soaked our brain in some terrible things, but take heart. You can be renewed. Your mind can be made new. What are you marinating in? What are you soaking in? You are a sponge. I am a sponge. And this world is super wet. And it's, we just soak it up. Instead of saying, no, no, no I, I, I'm, I'm gonna soak somewhere else. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually find out what pleases the Lord. And then we start soaking in God's word and we start living in his ways and we start listening to his spirit and all of a sudden, your life is renewed and it is transformed. One of the things that I think about this verse that it came to my mind is this verse points to the value of being connected to a church body on a consistent basis. I know it's like a hard left-hand turn or right-hand turn, but here, here's why I say that. How do you know if you're any different than you were before if people don't know you? If you're not around long enough for people to say to meet you and then two years later say, man, this is where I've seen you transformed your life. This is where I see the Holy Spirit working. If we're just always popping in and out of church, if we're just popping in and out of small group, if we're just, it's convenience-based versus commitment-based, then good luck. It's gonna be really hard to see the fruit of the transformation of God in your life because no one can verify, like, I've seen the change. I've seen it. And that's one of the coolest things as a pastor is I get to be with people for a long period of time and I can point out to them, man, when, you, when I first met you, this is who you were. And now I see this, 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 and this. And man, that, that's that Hebrews 10, 24. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so that's just my encouragement. Commit yourself to a faith family. No church is perfect. No pastor is perfect. No people are perfect. Just commit, follow the Lord, and find out together what is pleasing to him. And let that family, let his word and his spirit and his people transform you and renew you on a weekly, daily basis. Galatians 5, 23 is the famous fruits of the Spirit. Here's how you know if you're being transformed. You look at your life through the lens of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are any of these increasing in your life? Are you more patient than you used to be? Are you more kind and gentle? Are you more self-controlled? Like when we can see, again, when our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ can say, hey, I've seen this in you. You're a more patient person. Man, you used to be a total jerk, but now you're not quite as much of a jerk, right? Like you're growing. We're all growing. And he says, Man, therefore I urge you, do not conform to the patterns. This world has a pattern. Have you not noticed it yet? It is do whatever you want and you will find happiness. And if you do whatever you want and you don't find happiness, then you did it wrong. Do it some more. Do it differently. Do it better. And every time you try and do it better or you try and do it more, you are left more empty every single time. That's the pattern. 
But we just have so many options to try. Paul says, no, 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 do not do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's what we're gonna do. There's no so what tonight. I know, relax. Because honestly, I just could, I could not figure out what, what can I tell, what can I encourage them to do, to so what? So here's, here, here's what, like, this is a genius idea. We're gonna let the Holy Spirit define this for you, okay? Because the Holy Spirit knows you. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is with you. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have some therefore time. Instead of 120 seconds, we're gonna take this verse and therefore it for ourselves. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, right? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Have you ever asked yourself or asked God, what's your will? <laughs> there it is. Be transformed, renew your mind, and you will be able to discern God's will. And by the way, his, his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. So here's what, we want, what we're gonna do. We're gonna just go into a time of prayer. We're gonna go into a time of self-reflection and listening. And I cannot stress this enough. This is going to be awkward, but it is a good awkward. I'm going to ask you to say, ask the Holy Spirit a couple questions tonight. And I want you to listen for that slow, or that, 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 that gentle whisper of the Spirit. I'm gonna put these questions on the screen and then I'm gonna give you a minute or two just to sit in your seats and pray these questions. And then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna give you two more questions. And I'm gonna give you some time to pray. And at the end of the second question, it, again, this might be an hour, but if you came with somebody tonight, maybe you might share the, what you felt God telling you with the person you came with. If you trust them, if that's the kind of relationship you have, I would encourage you, like, lean into the community. Lean into your brothers and your sisters and say, this is what I feel the Holy Spirit nudging me to. So here's the first two questions. I want you to ask the Lord, what's a lie I am currently believing? And what's something that I believe that is causing me to be conformed to this world rather than Christ? Take those questions to the Lord. Literally, ask the Lord those questions. And then I want you to stop and listen. If you get distracted, ask them again. Ask him again. Ask him again. And then I'll come up and we'll, we'll give you another set of questions. Go ahead.
I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because God loves you and knows you. And he wants you to walk with him. And so I'm gonna trust that he's given you the so what. What's a lie I'm currently believing? What's something that I'm believing that is causing me to be conformed to this world rather than Christ? So here's your next two questions. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit directly, what biblical truth would the Holy Spirit reveal to me in exchange for this lie so that I might be transformed? And the second question is, how could I begin to see that thing in view of God's mercy? If we changed our lens and we looked through God, the lens of God's mercy in that whatever it is in your life, How would you begin to do that? What, what does life look like looking through the lens of God's mercy? Go ahead and pray. And if you want, share with somebody next to you. Or pray with somebody next to you for all I care. give you a moment to share with somebody next to you if you'd like just so we all do it at the same time so you don't feel weird you don't have to but just want to give you that space Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the mercy that you have shown us before we were ever an idea in anyone's mind. That you knew what we needed, that we could not do for ourselves. That you, in your mercy, sent Jesus Christ, your one and only Son to not just die and pay for our sin, but to usher in his kingdom and invite us along to be ambassadors and children of God. God, our faith looks so different, Lord, when we think about your mercy. Obedience to you seems so different when we think about obedience through the view of your mercy. 
Holy Spirit, would you not let us forget the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ? Would you embolden us and strengthen us to live out this therefore, that we would excitedly and willingly offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, that our whole week would be worship, our whole year would be worship, not just on Tuesdays and not just on Sundays, but every time we wake up and every time we go out and every time we sit down, our life would be worship, holy and pleasing to you. So God, would you, would you remind us of your mercy? We are so easy to forget. Lord, would our worship now be holy and pleasing to you? Would we sing in view of God's mercy? We pray things in your name, amen.